Welcome to the M3 Bear Essentials Podcast. My name is Malcolm Travers. Each Sunday at 2 p.m. Eastern, I host a YouTube live broadcast and invite the editors and contributors of Mail Media Mind to present a topic of their choosing. We discuss politics, social issues, especially those facing the black and LGBT communities, entertainment, mental health, sexuality, and relationships, or whatever makes the news or makes us mad. View the show recording live to ask questions or comment in the chat. Subscribe to M3 on YouTube to get a notification when we go live. You can find links to our YouTube page and other social media platforms at mailmediamind.com. Now, enjoy the show. And good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the M3 Hangout, Mail Media Mind, grassroots organization dedicated to uplifting and unifying the Black Bear community through dialogue, insight, creativity, and knowledge. We do this every week with these hangouts. One of the ways we do this is by coming to you every week with these hangouts uh, on different topics. Today's topic is the exorcism of Susan a woman in Chicago who goes to a church called um, Apostolic Church of Chicago. She recently wed her part uh, woman and she was immediately excommunicated. Um, before we get started with the uh, audio from her minister, her and then proceeded to drag her from the pulpit. We're going to introduce our weekly panel. Uh, today we have. Hello, everyone. How y'all doing? And Shaka. Hey, hey. How's it going? Stay tuned. It's a lot of drama today. <laughs> <laughs> and Lonnie. Hey, guys. Mark is going to be with us mostly from the engineering and Q&A position. So if you go and you post the question up, he will make sure that we get it. Hey, Mark. Hello. Our special guests this afternoon are uh, the Kevin Tyndale from Chicago. How is everybody? Hey. And I've known for many, many years and in, in my studies, which, you know, is small but powerful in religion. Uh, Dante Hilliard, who has a master's in religious studies. Yes. Good afternoon, everyone from Baltimore City, beautiful Baltimore. Yeah, he's a, he's a, he's an American traveler. He's lived a little bit of everywhere. All right. So before we get started, I'm going to play this video or play the audio from this video. Um, it is the right Reverend uh, Dr. Byron T. Brazer, Church of Chicago on the, the south side of Chicago. And this is his sermon from a week or so ago. Um, 
I will let you listen to it and then you can draw your own conclusions as we have this discussion. Provided me 
okay? Stop this before we keep going into videos that we don't need to hear because y'all don't need to know my life like that. Um, okay, we will. I'm going to get everybody's initial thought to the video. Go ahead, jump in. Don't be shy now. He's speechless. Um, well, to me, it sounds like typical old school, traditional church. Um, that's why I think that a lot of people who think critically are waking up to some of the jargon that he heard. One of the things that stood out to me was, um, I think he think he's, I'm paraphrasing. He said, you cannot add to the word of God. Well, he should tell that to the council of Nicaea. You know what I'm saying? I think that if people have real conversations about things in general, I think we can start to move forward as society um, when it comes to some of the rhetoric that's 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 told and spilled and uh, given in church. Um, as a person who doesn't attend church myself, and a person who used to be a Christian, just no longer cares to be affiliated with any religion. Um, I, to me, it sounds very judgmental. Um, it sounds very harsh uh, and petty. And to, and to use a platform to do something like that. And yeah, he probably thought that it was never going to go viral. I mean, I'm sure he had to have a camera person in the audience. But I, 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 Actually, I don't know. I want to point out. I want to huh? point out to you that, this, that the video and audio was from their weekly broadcasts. Right, and so somebody this was their website. And somebody made it go viral. It wasn't like he intentionally live streamed it on Facebook. Yeah. Okay. So that, yes. So it wasn't like he was intending to be malicious with his message. It was a message that was a loud and clear message to his congregation. And it's almost like a warning sign. If you do this, then you will be kicked out. And um, I mean, it's too bad for him. I mean, you lose an opportunity to connect and lead people who desperately need leadership. I mean, that's why they're there. That's why they're trusting someone with their spirituality and direction and mentorship or what have you. But it's a, it's a slippery slope. I mean, there are a lot of people who they only know what they know and they don't know anything else because maybe their exposure may not be as available as some people who does who have the knowledge and have the connections and have the ability to really provide a broader sense of, of the information that's out there. Um, but, you know, that's, that's, that's one of the things that is very unfortunate. Um, you know, he also listed all of these sins that I would be curious to know if that anybody lied or anybody did any of those things, if he did the same things to them. I think it's really easy to point to the LGBT community and say, you know what, this is not right. We're not going to condone this and we're not going to stand behind this because it's a law of the land. Uh, but it's also hypocritical in nature. And is that godlike? Is God a hypocrite? Are you, are you showing that as an example? So those are things that I would like uh, us, for me, that I'm interested in hearing about today as we talk about these things. Good afternoon, folks. I am sitting here in Chicago uh, and within proximity of the Apostolic Church of God. So let's get the... the you can literally get, see it from your... You can literally see it from your backyard, can't you? I can see it from my front window. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it is the Apostolic Church of God. They are part of the Pentecostal Assemblies of the World. Mm -hmm. um, I know the name has gotten a little mangled, um, but they're, uh, they're a prominent church here in Chicago and in the Woodlawn area, just next to Hyde Park. And um, Bishop Brazier is the son of the founder of, of Bishop Brazier. So 
Um, and they do, as you said, have a weekly broadcast. Uh, I'm ordained with the Fellowship of Affirming Ministries, and I do identify as a, as a uh, Christian. Because one does not have to go to church, of course, to be identified as a Christian. Am I, is there, am I heard okay, being heard okay? Okay. Um, so I am a Christian. I am with a, an affirming body of believers, the Fellowship of Affirming Ministries under Bishop Yvette Flunder. And I also serve the United Church of Christ, which is uh, nationally an open and affirming uh, denomination. Um, but their individual churches uh, can believe whatever they want to. Some are open and affirming and some are not. But I also serve on the open and affirming coalition of the United Church of Christ nationally. I'm the vice president. And uh, there's a lot of things, of course, that we can talk about. But one, of course, is one of the things that he said in his comments were that we are all imperfect. Um, well, again, here's the schizophrenia. You say that God made us in the image of God, and then you say God is perfect, but then you say that we are imperfect. <laughs> and so there starts the schizophrenia of doctrine, which is man-made, which is someone's interpretation of what they believe the Bible says. Um, as we go to seminary, um, and I went to Chicago Theological Seminary here in Chicago, actually blocks from where I'm living. Uh, and a lot of the things that you find out that are real and that are true, you don't want to take back to your congregation because they'll fire you <laughs> based upon their beliefs that someone gave to them, that someone gave to them, that someone gave to them, and the doctrine, which doesn't necessarily follow theological education all the time. And the Bible you know, is not written to us. The Bible was written to a people 2,000 years ago. So it's a, it's a, there are stories about how people overcame that we can glean from. But you need to have a, a, a book of history next to your book of the Bible because it's not an easy book to read. So people who are just reading it off the cuff are not really understanding what went on and what was happening for those people. We are a different people. And to put um, homosexuality in with, or same-sex attraction in with liars and cheaters and those types of things is very juvenile. It's a very juvenile uh, way of looking at things. And if you look at the Apostolic Church of God versus the other large apostolic churches in town, you'll see that they are a middle-class to upper-class church the women do not have their heads covered, and this is if you're in, you know if you're used to the apostolic way, where women usually have their heads covered in church, uh, skirts below their knees. Uh, these people who come to this church have skirts above their knees. They have arms open. They come uh, to church without their heads covered. So they are a more upper class, mid, upper to middle class. They do not dance and shout. They do not. Uh, you'd be pulled out of there if you if you if you're too loud. <laughs> That's so they have oh, found a way, to, a way to kind of with the time things that benefit them. Yes, of course. 
And I also know that there are people in their music department that are gay. There are people over there, uh, over their services, over their uh, food services that are gay. Now, whether they're married or not, and whether other good, upstanding members of the church <laughs> sent the video pictures to the pastor is another thing. Plus, they're men versus women. So we get into a whole nother <clears throat> a whole nother thing there. Because there is a woman who should take over apostolic or should have taken over the church. Yeah. And they didn't get it to her. It's all it's, yeah, it's all it's always been led by men, correct? Right. It's always been led by men. So there are a number of things that we can of course delve into. I did hear the update that there were about seventy five people at the protest. Hold on a second, because I want to. I want to get into the. I want to get into the protests. Hold okay. on one second. I want to get Dante's take first sure. on the. Hey video, Dante, and we're gonna come back to. Hey. So, um, hmm. So, there's a lot of bad theology at work here. A lot of bad theology. A lot of bad sociology. A lot of bad psychology. Bad anthropology, a lot of bad biology. Um, so a lot of badology going on um here. But I think what's most interesting as a person who was raised Pentecostal, so I find them weird because they're kind of bougetto Pentecostal. They're you know, I'm real Pentecostal where you snide and you lay on the floor and you roll around and you get dirty and you be there all day Sunday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and all of that, and you got to tear it for the Holy Ghost. That, like, I, that's where I come from. So that little, the fact that they're like trying to be bougetto Pentecostal yet progressive is interesting. Howsoever, um, I think what's interesting about his statement is that the problem with this member was not that she was a lesbian. That was not the problem. He said we cannot institutionalize things that God has condemned. That's what he said. So the problem is she got married to a woman, not that she was a lesbian. Because if all the lesbians and gays leave apostolic, hey, they might as well close the doors. So it's not that she was a lesbian. It is that by getting married, she, and if they didn't do that, that would be institutionalizing something that God has condemned. So again, bad theology, God didn't condemn this woman for marrying another woman. I ain't read that in no version of nobody's scripture. And I've read multiple versions of all the different scriptures. Uh, so number one, that's a lie. Um, <laughs> number two, if you can't, if so, if her getting married is the actual problem, not being a lesbian, because you can't institutionalize quote unquote sin, then I guess if you are referring addict at apostolic, you can't be in an AA or NA group either, because that would be institutionalizing your sin, right? Because in an NAAA, any kind of recovery group, one of the things you accept is that at any time, this person may fall back into this thing that they are seeking recovery from. And that you have to accept that as part of the journey. So 
I'm not. So the the sin for her that caused her to be removed was that she was married. And so what I uh oh live. So the problem. Hold on, I lost y'all. Can you see me? Yep. Yep. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, you're here. You're here. So you're here. the problem is that she got married. So what I would not want to get lost. So there's some bad theology here, but I want to argue that there's some good theology that's also underneath this video that can be easily missed. Because what is missed here is that whoever this woman is, she decided that being free and authentic was greater than her fear of losing a community that she's known her whole life. And I think that is the part of the story we need to celebrate, that she had enough autonomy and self-determination and she understood the sacredness of her freedom. I mean, she wasn't hiding it. Clearly she was posting on Facebook about it. And she clearly understood the community that she came from. But she made a choice that she was going to be free. Um, and so I would really want to focus there. There's a scholar I read a lot named Anthony Penn um, who talks about the nature of black religion. And he says that the nature of black religion, it's not congregational or denominational. He says, historically, black Americans, particularly because of the trauma of chattel slavery, we choose religious communities where we believe we have the best opportunity to be fully human. So if it happens to be a Christian or Buddhist or, or Baptist or Pentecostal, whatever the space is, people are looking for a space that they believe they can be their most full human self. And it seems to me that she decided that she couldn't be her most full human self in that place. And so she was going to do that. And if that meant leaving that place, that's okay. And I think that's where we, that's a story we have to honor is that we many of us make a choice to be ourselves rather than live in fear of of the retaliation of folks who try to hold us in bondage because again her, her lesbian money was good enough for apostolic her lesbian time and service was good enough for apostolic the problem was that she made a declarative statement that this is who i am period and that became the time she reclaimed the time. She reclaimed the time. There you go. Does anybody else want to speak out on the video? All right. Also, I want to go ahead. So I mostly believe I mostly agree with Dante on this one. Um, I definitely see where uh, there's like some he's different. Okay, so I'm Southern Christian Baptist, um, mm. and so. Of course, our preachers would sound completely different from anything apostolic, but he's a little strange because partly what he was saying, it sounded like he understands something because he didn't do a complete fire and burn stuff version of homosexuality like most preachers would do. So I found that interesting. But when he continued to talk about it, he puts it in this big category of there's this big group of sin. On that end, he makes it sound as if it's he almost normalizes it to me. Like he almost says that this is a sin like any other sin. But then here's the difference, and he's neutralizing it. And so, you know, you oftentimes hear in the Baptist church them talking about marriage as an institution and the institution of marriage, right? 
Um, and so I think that's where his concept of, in, of an institution comes from when he was talking about institutionalizing it, meaning that it now has legal precedence and, and has to be recognized by other bodies. I do also think that he was fine with her being a lesbian. He may not have agreed with it, but he was fine with the whole lesbian part of it until she got to a place where it was publicly uh, recognized or legally rep rep recognized and represented. I think that's where the fall apart comes in. Um, and which is interesting because other preachers probably would have completely have said no to the whole thing from the beginning. There's like a place where he'll go for as far as he'll go and then he'll stop, which means to me in that sense, uh, especially from what do you mean? What do you mean they would have said no from the beginning? Meaning that a Baptist preacher, especially one down here in the South, as soon as they found out she was a lesbian, that would have been enough for them right there to want to put her out of church. So the fact that he was like, yeah, she's a lesbian, this, this, and this, and to me, there's this, like, there's this room to grow with him. Um, speaking from, you know, therapeutic approach, I can see where with him, because his thinking is not completely all or nothing. There's some great lines with him, and I think you can utilize that great line. And also, I'm kind of curious about how old this video is. That's, that that struck me as something to pay attention to. But I'd like to know how old this video is and what makes him think the way that he thinks. Because like I say, he doesn't sound all or nothing. Now, truth be told, I don't I don't agree with him, of course, but there there is some shift that is happening there that you previously hadn't seen before in the, in the church. Well, let me say from the Baptist church, you haven't seen anything like this. Um, any other church, uh, especially churches down here, they'd have been ready to ostracize that woman, and they would have dragged her like it had been a um, it had been a witch convention. That's what it would have turned into, um, if anything. But at least with him, well, interesting statement to the interesting point. Uh, he made. I'm sorry, interesting point. Okay, so he made this video is about. Go ahead. Go ahead. He made a statement to the atone that um, we have to also understand that other things do exist that we may not agree with. Um, and we continue to work towards getting away from that, but not at the same, not in the same manner that we do with this. I think he was careful because he didn't want to be Kim Burrell. Exactly. Um, two, so, okay, so a couple things. This video, I believe, is two weeks. It would is is within the last two weeks um and i also want to point out that especially in chicago um there are three major churches that people go to there's trinity alec and there's sweet concentrate when i say this sweet holy spirit <laughs> Those are <laughs> no, no, and, I, and offline I will tell you why I have to concentrate when I say that. Um, so those are the three churches, and 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 they are they are majority black, and have like I know people that go to all three of them. You have to add. I'm sorry, Derek, but you have to add John Hannah's church in there now. New, new, new life, which has about right. 12,000 members. 
and there are now black people. I mean, it's a black church as well. That's your work. I, I guess I'll find out some of this new stuff when I get back to <laughs> But they're also Pentecostal. So, yeah, Xavier, in that instance, I don't think he would completely uh, go against the LGBT thing because, you know, because I, I think, I don't remember. Y'all talk a lot. Um, all y'all look alike. The doors would close. Like, you, if you start going against the LGBT, and especially in Chicago, in these four black churches, the doors would close. Y'all wouldn't get nothing done. There would be no dance ministry, you know, just all kinds of stuff would shut down. Dante said that. Um, thank you. So, I try to give credit where credit is due, but I'm old and I don't remember things. So I also think it's important to remember there's a scholar, um, I think it's Jose Esteban Muñoz. He sort of has developed this sort of black queer um, theory he calls disidentifications. And he says that black LGBT, well, people of color who are LGBTQ, um, we live in space, we live in a world that's both with white supremacy and rife with um, heterosexism. And because of the entrenchedness of racism, we can't afford to do either or. So that although there is a lot of <clears throat> fucked up things within our own community institutions, because of racism, we usually can't afford to fully divest ourselves of our own community institutions. And so we have to learn to what he calls disidentify. We have a habit of being in community spaces and in community institutions, and we just discount the bullshit. We'd be like, yeah, that's bullshit, that's bullshit, bullshit. But I stay here because I like doing this thing, right? I like making this difference, whether that's a civic organization, a religious organization, educational institution, that we, we learn to parse it out. And we, like, we put the bullshit over there. We don't believe that. Most of us can think of black religious folks who go to churches where there's a lot of things they don't believe or agree with, but there's enough, but there's something about that community that they enjoy being a part of, and that's why they go. And so often I think that that concept of disidentification, it get, it's used against us, right? So that, again, I don't think this minister, Brazier, was doing anything different than most black preachers do. You know, we are... LGBT folk of color, particularly black in black religious communities, long as we are the spiritual domestic workers, we're fine. As long as we we preaching and ushering and singing and teaching the youth and caring for the sick and the old and the tired, and as long as we ritualistically appear at the altar and look sad and lonely and cry and look like we trying to work out our salvation, right? Which is to get rid of this, as Paul would say, the thorn in our flesh, we find. The problem is not being a same-sex attracted or LGBTQ or same gender loving person in black religious spaces. The problem is when you name it. Leave it unnamed, uninstitutionalized. You can be present. <laughs> but once 
and you're a problem because now you're disrupting the myth, the story. Because part of the story yeah, that's, is as this woman did, yeah, she got me. She got me. Because part of the story is to be gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, queer, any of those things is to be to live a, a unhappy, sad, trauma-filled life that's oh, it's so we're so weary and we're so tired and like all hell would break loose. But when people see us living our lives and having joy and authenticity and community and love, it disrupts the bullshit narrative that we are not chosen, that we are condemned, that we are cursed, and we can't have that. So we got to remove you out of the literally, spiritually and physically out of the uh, sight lines so that people don't get confused. Happy. How are you going to be here and be gay and happy? Now, you can be gay and sad. You can be gay and depressed. But you ain't going to come here and be gay and happy. That No, that's at least in my experience of black religious space, that has always been the issue, is when you don't look sad and sorry about being gay. Can I qualify that by saying um, when it comes to uh, people who are struggling with their sexual identity. The church and the heterosexual community created that shame. The person didn't create that shame. So I think there's a level of responsibility that they they have to face. And I think that our community should push it back in their faces and say, you know, um, when it comes to the shame, why why should people feel that shame? And we have to look at the psychology, uh, the psychological nature behind that is it because of a choice a personal choice is or is it because your religious faith tells you that you should identify people of uh, uh the lgbt community that they should or we should have that particular shame so right. i think that you know there's a lot of pushback to have that has to happen with that also well no i totally agree with you my thing is i think that the shame narrative is much bigger i think that I mean, one of the reasons I well, technically, I'm a Unitarian now, but one of the reasons I have not not belonged to any religious community in years is because religious community that um, that is not sex positive. I don't. I believe that our bodies and sexuality are a part of the gift of what it means to be human. And too many religious communities, black, white, or otherwise, are ensconced in this concept that our bodies are dirty, our bodies are nasty, um, that sex if sex is only a right that you can have when the state tells you you can have it, when a person the state has sanctioned you to be with. And I find all of that to be, I call bullshit on all of that. So I need a sex positive theology. So I think that what you're speaking to is a problem of the fact that mo- our, particularly in our in our African American communities, our, we don't have sex positivity. We don't have body positivity as a part of our theology, and so all that shit just gets rolled up. So whether it's a pregnant girl who gets dragged in front of the congregation to be shamed for getting pregnant, but the dude is sitting in the pulpit. You know, or the the LGBT person, or the or the um, I was one of those young black boys who got dragged to the altar, and everybody had to lay hands on me to try to cast out this homosexual spirit. You know, what is the trauma of that, right? Um, so, but all of that is wrapped up in 
a lack of sex positivity and body positivity that I think, again, informs the bad theology um, that's not just connected to same-sex attractiveness, but it, it is, we have bad theology related to sex and the body. I agree. Um, and actually with um, the Fellowship of Affirming Ministries, we've started to move into that body, uh, into that sex positive area and into that less body shaming area, which is a great thing for us. Um, and of course, we're made up of many people from different denominations and different, religion, different religions because we even have Buddhists and Jews and uh, and uh, Islam uh, and, and the Islamic faith included. Um, and so last year we had a, a class on bisexuality at the convocation. And this year we had a sexuality class. And so we are moving in that direction because I'm definitely a sex positive person, a sex positive Pentecostal um, or universalist even um, because everyone is in heaven no matter what they've done or whatever. Um, it's just whether your spirit will, will, will last here on the earth. Um, so I do know that it's bad theology, but it's again a, com a cultural community. And that's what we have to look at, that people are weighing their, uh, their ticket to the country club and their ability to be someone, to be deacon someone or trustee someone, which they are not in their work world, possibly, or in, their, in the world, in the white world, but in the church world, they can be somebody. And a lot of people hang on to that. Because this woman at Apostolic has served people for three or four decades um, as their armor bearer. And I'm sure that her, the person that she was with knew that she was a lesbian, of course. But again, the pictures, as I'm told, were posted privately in a secret group. But somebody who she had allowed access to that secret group spread them to the pastor and told the pastor, that they were there. So I don't, I think she was forced into freedom. I mean, I think she made that determination that she was going to marry the love of her life um, because it was legal uh, and that she wanted to do that. I'm not so sure that she expected the church who she has served uh, so well and had no issues when she had her children and, and those types of things for the last for decades to come back at her like that, uh, but they did. Um, so, you know, it, it's a matter she of- is the, third, She is the third of four generations. Right, exactly, in that church. In that church. Yes, and you usually look at those individuals as, um, you know, as shoe-ins, but yeah. I think, you know, again, they were tested and he dropped back to his normal theology, and this was something that he said at the end of the service, or near the end of his his message. He didn't say it; it wasn't his message. Um, but again, he's going back to the doctrine that he's being held to by being the pastor uh, of that church. So but there's bad I theology to point out that. that um, so. For um, spiritual guide, your spiritual leader, 
who drag you that because that's essentially what this was especially with the you know not that this was not even what his sermon was about this was a last minute add-on of course Uh, it's not it's not right but it's a business church is a business they have to pay the mortgage (laughs) they have six parking lots around the church and so (laughs) it's a cultural it's a cultural community center but it's also a business and apostolic church of god created the Woodlawn Association, which is gentrifying um, and keeping up the Woodlawn area. They got the train tracks taken down from Cottage Grove to Stony Island. Okay. Yes, they got the train tracks taken down so that they got those houses built along 63rd Street, the Woodlawn Association. Uh, The church members had the first crack at getting those homes. So the Obama Library is coming to Woodlawn. (laughs) <laughs> Hyde Park Woodlawn, three blocks from the church. Yeah. So they have. No, it's going to it's three blocks from where I live. <laughs> in, Jackson, in, Jackson, in Jackson. In Jackson Park. Jackson Park. Oh, that's going to be interesting. Right, that's going to be so interesting for a whole lot of different reasons. So even though he did not want to become the pastor of the church after his father died. And I'm not quite sure that there's a son that he has that wants to become the pastor of the church. So it'll be interesting because he's talking about retiring. Um, It's going to be interesting to see where they go, but they are the most prominent apostolic church. So uh, why, you know, I mean, you got to be baptized when you join the church. They they dunk you in that water right away at the end of service. (laughs) They are true. They are apostolic. And I grew up Church of God in Christ, you know, so that's that's where they came from. Right. Um, but, you know, we don't do that. <laughs> and I didn't have horror stories growing up in the Church of God in Christ. Um, our church was just was a loving church and they love my husband to this day. Uh, and our children were, were christened at the altar. So it does. It just depends upon the church um, and how they choose to follow the doctrine or not follow the doctrine, even though they have that name on their church. So, well, speaking you know, of horror stories, um, yes. I also want to point out that um, the woman, and I don't know what her name is, and I don't want to know what I, I wouldn't say it on here anyway. Uh, a apparently, she and her wife have been getting death threats. Um, and B, she has a job. She has a job that is now if her identity air, she is worried about losing oh. and so there, to, to yes. your point I want to add that there is a cultural piece here that's not just about non because I'm not against black religious institutions I like to be very clear I believe in intentional communities whether they be faith communities or otherwise and the and intentional communities are things that have sustained us since uh, pre before chattel slavery and definitely since and so I understand the import of them but that there is a way in which um well let me tell it to a story so Some of you know I'm a former Chicagoan. I consider it my second home. I was a member of one of those big four churches that you mentioned earlier. I won't say which one. And we were progressive. We had a same 
gender loving ministry. Right. So very, I'm like, oh, this is why this is what I hadn't been in a church maybe in 10 years. I was like, oh, okay, they're really trying to move forward. And I remember being politely asked to leave the same gender loving ministry as I asked a couple of questions. Um, So we had a ministry we gathered once a month. Um, We basically ate cake and drank coffee and people just kind of talked about their lives, right? And um, I began to ask a question. Once a month, we would have this service that was for um, uh, single people in the church. And I asked the question, well, why is the sermon never about those of us who are are same gender loving, those of us who are LGBTQ folk, the sermons never speak to our particular condition, our context, but we're expected to participate. And members just told me, these are the members of the same gender loving community. They told me I was too political, that they don't need sermons to speak to their sexuality, you know? And what I realized was this was a space not for me. This was a space for people who were just happy to not be preached to hell. It was not a space that was seeking transformation. It was not a space seeking to push the progressive envelope of a more progressive and more inclusive theology. They were just glad to be. And I realized that I had to leave the space because I didn't need to tear it down. It was a space that would have been very helpful to me when I was 16, and I was just trying to figure my ish out. But at 30-ish, almost 40, it felt like kindergarten for me. But I get, but I'm, but I do want to honor that maybe that space was really important to those people who came once a month to eat cake and talk about their lives. But I was looking for something neat and deeper, more transformative. And yeah, so they were like, "You need to go. You're just too political." And so that even in a space that's meant to be affirming, we can still find vestiges of the same, the, uh, the root causes of all of our oppression. And I want to be clear about that. So I don't want to just single out apostolic or some of, the, of these other spaces. That that stuff shows up even in the, the spaces that claim to be progressive, that claim to be inclusive, that claim to be affirming. Um, and that just like racism, it shows up everywhere. Um, and there is no space we can find respite from it. It's there. And we, so the question, many of us are just making a choice of where we want to fight. And basically, um, to your point, we just had a meeting with that same ministry. <laughs> I know which one it is. <laughs> Bishop Flunder was called in because she preached uh, the seven last words there and uh, was asked to meet with the ministry. Um, and they were just kind of at a quandary point. And basically, she said, why are you looking for affirmation from the, 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 the body? You know, why are you still looking for that? Just do what you need to do, be happy, and look how many people will start to look into your backyard and see that you're happy and see that you're doing things that you need to do and get on with it. Um, you know, because we're never going to get that affirmation from the body because even that pastor had to step back from marriage equality um, and I put Bishop uh, Pearson, Carlton Pearson who was here at the time, he stepped in to be the face of marriage equality in Illinois for the black church because uh, this other pastor 
got the word from his trustee board and from his that he needed to step back from being so on the front lines about this institutional, here we go again, about this institution of gay marriage, um, which they've never performed one in that church, yet they have many gay, prominent gay members. Um, yeah. And actually, what used to happen was the pastor used to say that I will perform it, and then the day of the wedding sent an associate pastor to do the wedding, and he would never show up. Oh, the shade, so, Tyndale, the shade. I didn't name any names. I didn't name any names. <laughs> but you know who I'm talking Let about. me take a sip. <laughs> so, yes, we are battling those things. And I'm in a place in a space where I need to be as a Christian in the fellowship that I can use my sex positivity, that I can talk about that and find other people. So you have to create that space for yourself. Bishop Pearson uh, has become a universalist out of Pentecostalism. Um, so we call ourselves Metacostals, metaphysical Pentecostals. Um, and his message is open, you know, to who we are as loving individuals and that God is for all of us. So the thing is, is that you have to take these things on for yourself and step outside of the institutional uh, space so that you can be happy. My question is um, for Go ahead, Sean. my question is for the panel. Is there anywhere in the Bible where it says to kick anyone out of church for any reason, particularly sex? No. So why do people do it? And then because they call the themselves doctrine. following doctrine. What is that? It's, moral, it's their moral code. That they their code or God's code? Which so are we superseding? What are we doing? It is it is man's code that they deem as God's code. Their interpretation of God's code. So they're bullshit, basically. Yes, exactly. I have always, <laughs> this is my thing. I've always looked at the Bible as the telephone game because the Bible was not written in English. The Bible was written 2,000 years ago. It's been translated many times over. Um, if you've learned a second or third language, like I took Latin in high school. There are some words that just don't translate. Throw in what the, uh, um, um, I can't think of the inspired. word. Inspired. The inspired version. Well, not the inspired version. <laughs> yes, that too. Um, but what is the slang of the time? You know, this word that means this, this word that means this in a dictionary, but means this to the community is it the same thing change the meaning when it's written down in this book i've always, i personally have always treated the bible as a telephone game and well, the good, the good, i mean you can't be in the black church without the king james version i mean and and gay king james i mean he redid the bible so that he could get divorced Right. Um, yes. So he that I did. He put his slant on it, um, and again, the gospels were not written down until at least 90, 60 to ninety years after Christ supposedly lived, and so therefore, yes, it was a telephone game that people translated stories, and in order to be a god, 
quote unquote, in from the Greek tradition and the Roman tradition, which they were influenced by. You had to have a god parent and a human parent. Mary, mm-hmm. impregnated by God, a human god, not a Greek god or a Roman god, but a humanized god. So there are a number of things that turn your head on end when you get to right. seminary, a proper seminary, not Bible school, not Bible Jeez. college, but a proper theological seminary that these people, the black people, when I was sitting in class, they were like getting ready to what? run out of class and throw the Bible at the professor and demonize and throw oil <laughs> because they were learning the truth. Yeah. And the truth, they could not take back to that A and B pulpit, mm-hmm. or they could not take it back to that black pulpit. Mm-hmm. Yet the white lesbians are sitting in class and, the, and, and other people, you know, understanding where they needed to go. But the cultural slant, the doctrinal slant of the black church, which is very conservative, to keep us out of trouble back in the early days, to keep us in church, out of the bars, so that we would not get into trouble. Look and see where the doctrine came from and why it is that conservative. We want it to be normalized. We didn't want to be seen as sexually perverted. Yet African religion and Caribbean religion is very sexual. The dance is very sexual and sexualized. And that's who we are. But the religion tried to normalize us so that we would be seen as more Robot. Like the white people. Mm-hmm. But, and, and I also want to affirm that I don't have a problem with an intentional community creating their own rules. Right. That every community should, whether it's a family, a marriage, whatever. You should create your own rules. My problem is that often we want to say our rules are God's rules. Mm-hmm. And, there, and here's where I have a problem with it. You know... Um, so that I don't, because it's one thing to say, well, you can't do that because most of us probably had the mama speech or from some mama figure. My rules. This, this is a black mama philosophy. And so we all understood that there was just some ish that wasn't happening under mama rules. To do that, you needed to find another roof under which to do it. We were all clear. And so once you decided that though you wanted to do things that was on the not under my roof list, you had to relocate yourself elsewhere. <laughs> right? So I don't have a problem with if they if they again you say that's your doctrine, but again, you want to call yourself apostolic, but you know that's supposed to mean you in the succession of the apostles. But I can't really, I can't trace you back to no apostles. You just, you, you just decided that y'all in the line of the apostles. I'm not sure how you really are. Um, but that conflation of our rules versus God's rules, it's sort of like my problem with the concept, just, I'm tangent, my concept, the concept of tithing. Why don't people just tell the truth and say tithing is your membership fee? You belong to this organization. We need you to pay a fee 
because that fee sustains the organization that you benefit from. Because that's really what tithing is. It's not about God saying and first fruits and I'm going to rebuke the devourer and the canker worm and the summer worm. And de- no, you need to keep the lights on. We need to keep the lights on. You need to pay the salaries. Um, Kevin and I, we, we share Absolutely. a fraternity. We share a fraternity. If you want to be an active member of that fraternity, you pay your national tax. That membership fee helps the organization continue to function. It's not because God said it. I'm not going to get no special place in heaven because I pay my national tax, but I believe in the work, so I give. And then sometimes when I don't like what the organization does, I withhold. Because why should I invest my money somewhere that I can't trust you? Like when you let our president steal the money. But that's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> but but again, we talk about tithing as a form of this sort of heavenly, oh, God said, God going to do. No, just say we need to keep the lights on. If you want to be in this community, we need you to bring something. Whether that's your time, your talent, your treasure. But everyone needs to co- participate in the community. But that's not how we teach it. So what about, okay, you have tithing, the building fund, you have the cafeteria fund, you have the church mother's fund, you have the preacher's fund, you have the first lady fund. Where do you draw the line on all of that, though? I mean, again, the people can can raise their funds however they want. My my issue is, let's be honest, church church is both community and business. And my problem is most preachers, most ministers, most pastors don't have any business acumen. And so they run their church like they run their families, which is often a problem. So I belong to a church where finances stole thousands of dollars, but never got fired because grace. Grace, let God give the grace. You can't let people steal the people's money. That person should have been fired because that's the right business move. A pastor is a CEO of a nonprofit organization, and most of them do not orient to that work as such. And so that's what it's a lot of sloppy business practices. Hold on, hold on, Shaka. We get we have a comment that I want to get to. Um, first of all, I want to say Dante. Thank you for taking me to church today. Um, Joe R. says, idiomatic phrases don't translate accurately. I've heard that many or some people lose their faith when they enter into serious study of religion in the Bible. That's, that's it. Thank you, Joe R. And, that, and, that's, and that's, that's, that is an issue because they put faith in the wrong place. They put faith in the individual rather than faith in God. Because the individual can let you down. And the individual, you can drink the Kool-Aid and die. And the thing is, you have to stop yourself from drinking the Kool-Aid and change to water or change to something else because you will be in with Jim Jones and you will be gone. Your spirit will be gone. Your faith will be gone. And the thing is, is that when you, when you start to study, because it's like you trusted these people who told you that God is and and cared for you and loved you. And then you read, you know, why Christianity must change or die or by by John Spong, or you start reading these theologians that are telling the truth because of the history and because of the study. 
And you're like, well, that ain't what Big Mama told me. And you trusted and loved Big Mama. And that's not what Pastor Grant told me. Because you loved Pastor Grant and, and you believed him because he was on a pedestal. And he was God to you. But you have to look past that mm-hmm. and know that faith is faith in God and not faith in the pastor. But you also have to realize that the pastor's name is on the deed to the church in a lot of time, in a lot of, in a lot of instances. So they own the building. They own the church. So you often have to leave that building or leave that church because you're not going to change their viewpoint sometimes. Right. So that's also the crux. People think that the churches belong to the denomination. Most black churches don't, don't necessarily belong to the denomination. They belong to the church. And in Baptist churches, they belong to the deacons or the trustees of that church and to the body and to the people. So, Shaka, I want to get back to your... And I wanted to get our statement, and I was even waiting. I forgot. Okay, sorry. (laughs) Okay, go, David. Okay, he'll come back. And you said the black most of the time the black the black churches, and I'm that's very true. Most of the time the black churches in the name of the uh, the pastor, and he passes down his kids, and we've seen in history that's always a fucking mess. Um, but. Are, is this going on in white churches? And if so, why are we not hearing so much about it? I always hear about all of this drama with black churches. And I mean, both of my schools are ran by white churches, and I still never hear this kind of drama. So there is. Go ahead, Dante. Well, I was going to start with, well, racism. <laughs> and now this may sound really <laughs> reductive. But one of the things that I always say to my students is that racism is real. And we have to keep saying that oppression is real. And there is not one area of our lives that oppression does not constrain and impact who we are, who we can love, who we can live around. Our lives are shaped by these oppressive forces. And so, um, and particularly black Americans, who are at the bottom end of all social pathologies, everything gets compounded so that, I mean, yeah, bullshit happens in white communities and in white spaces, but it often doesn't reverberate and have the same impact because ours is concentrated in a very particular way. So just an example, I read an article two years ago about HIV infection among African-American men who have sex with men. And one of the things that the article, the, the researchers found out is that African-American men who have sex with men are, are least likely of gay men to have sex with men who are not black. And because HIV infection and other social ills are so concentrated in black community, we actually, one of the reasons our HIV infection rate is high is because we're more likely to come in contact with HIV because it's there's a higher concentration in the community. So the fact that we choose to love one another actually puts us in harm's way, right? And that's what that's what racism does. That's what white supremacy. That's what oppression does. That oppression concentrates bullshit, so that we not just stepping over. You can't step over because you got to swim through it. And so. Um, Often people, we think, I use, I grew up around a lot of white folks and I thought that they had it made. Like, 
oh, that was just, it was just all this bullshit in our space and they like, no, they got bullshit going on too. But they got white privilege and they live in a world and in a nation that's designed for their success so that I, the impact feels different. Um, and, and then on the other hand, I just don't care as much about what happened to white people. <laughs> but, but yes, Dante is, is correct. And it is going on in the white church. The United Methodist Church is in a fight over gays being ordained openly. Um, the United Church of Christ, which at the top says uh, that they are an open affirming denomination, but they have a policy which means that the individual churches do not have to follow what the national church says. Now, of course, in a black context, that's very different because we're a top-down, mostly top-down churches. This is a bottom-up church. So you can't go to just any UCC congregation and expect for them to accept you. But there are many UCC congregations within that will accept gays and lesbians outright. And we're working on that. But the black congregations through the fellowship of affirming ministries that are entering the UCC are gay congregations. And actually, that's the only way that that white denomination is growing from the minority churches that are coming in, because there's also money to be had, because they are a large white denomination, and they have mortgage programs, and they have pension programs, and they have stuff that these churches now can be availed of as a denomination that they didn't have before, and still be open enough for being gay, as gay as they want to, because it's their church. So the Episcopal Church split in America over gay rights, um, so there are, there, this is going on in the white churches, but again, it's not as prominent in the news because of white privilege, because these are just things that they're dealing with that we don't hear, that I hear about, because I'm in that, you know, in that area um, of understanding um, and working with them. But, you know, I, you know, it's not necessarily pertinent to me, it's more pertinent to me because I'm black. There's a hand. Go ahead. Um, to both Mufasa and Dante's points, because I kind of get that, you know, when somebody says, you know, they focus on like only this majority, what we're, all we're talking about is majority focus on the black community and stuff. And some people will always push back and be like, well, it happens in the white community too. It's not just a black thing. It's just something that happens. And it's just like, they, they push back in a negative manner being like, it happens in the white community, so why are we talking about this? So I guess my question to y'all is, um, is that a proper way to respond to this? Like, well, it happens to white folks too, so why, 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 we, um, why are we concerned about, you know, why make it a big issue for us when it happens to white people too, I guess what I'm trying to say. That's, that's the negative context I get when, I, when somebody brings it up. Because they created it. Ha! You know Yeah, 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 Plus, I concern, I'm concerned about my black brothers and sisters living. That's what I'm concerned about. I'm not so much concerned about the white folks living. They'll live on. Um, they're concerned about us multiplying, though, uh -huh. and the United States becoming more brown <laughs> because there are more of us in the world than of them, and they don't have that upper hand as much as they used to. They still do, but not as much. They're not conquering uh, and pillaging you know, Africa these days in the right. way that they used to. Um, but I'm concerned about my people, uh -huh. the people that I love, the people that, you know, are, are dying 
and trying to live, it's enough to try to live in America, mm-hmm. in white America, and work in it and, and exist in it. And sometimes the church for them is their only respite. Um, fraternities and our other black organizations, you know, people keep asking, well, why do we still have the NAACP and why do we still have uh, the uh, BET Awards and why do we still have Miss Black America? Because it ain't fixed yet. <laughs> it's still necessary for us to have our own. And so I'm concerned about life, living. And that's why I'm concerned about it. I'm not concerned about what the Methodist Church is doing, you know, and and the white folks there, because they'll just battle it out for themselves. But I'm concerned about us. And these are the same uh, gay people who voted for Trump. So when you look at race, of course, race is going to play a significant part into our conversations. And then when we really look at our issues, the things that happen to us, then we're the gay people, we're the non people of color who identify as gay, were they in terms of advocating for our issues? But you want to advocate for gay influence. So it's like, you know, you want to build this whole all-inclusive thing when it's a convenient slogan for, I think, a lot of white people. Right. They don't truly mean that. I mean, and the numbers don't lie. So. And I also, I want to go back to the concept of, I believe in numbers. And I'm always concerned about what I call disproportionate impact. So black preachers and pastors piss me off because their misbehavior has a deeper impact in black spaces than when a white minister does some things. The impact is deeper. The impact is greater. So, yes, there are white people who steal, kill, lie, do all manner of bullshit, but they don't become a representative for all white people. Their behavior does not get generalized onto all white people. If that's the case, uh, everybody in the world will be scared of young white teenagers who wear black, right? Because they're the ones that shoot up public spaces all the time, right? But there's no grand phobia of young white disaffected males around the globe, but people around the world are scared of black people because of the nature of racism and the ways in which we proliferated this negative narrative of who we are and what we do. And so I care about it when it happens in black spaces because I know the impact that it will have. And that is, that's more important, you know, that we can't, oh yeah, white people steal, yeah. But when they steal, it don't, it don't, it don't harm our community the way. When they steal, it is a white person stealing as opposed yes. to when black people steal and black people steal. Yes. But that makes yeah. So much sense to me because I keep trying to. I, I'm telling Derek, I me and Derek had this conversation. We had these, I read, read these think pieces and about how we just stop, you know, generalizing, like making it seem like, you know, this is a big issue in the black community when white folks do it and stuff like that. Uh, like I think I read an article saying something about, like, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say that homophobia is rampant in the black community because I'm was i not going to let that lie be persistent. But I'm like, it's no, it doesn't matter. I mean, it, it, it is because you have to worry about that because you are a part of the black community and like Dr. just said, we're not being the black community are being generalized in terms of, you know, whatever they do, it's just, it just on that one white person, they don't sit there and claim ownership to everything that that one white person does, but with us it's a big deal. I, I mean, that's, that's Dylan and Ruth shot up a church said I did it because it was black people in there. 
that they bent over backwards to do everything in their power to say, well, what he didn't mean, because there was black people in there, what he meant was he said he shot the joint up because it was full of black folk. Mm-hmm. When, when was the novel? Uh, That's my question. That would be my question to the end. See, I need to get on some of these CNN shows. That was ripped bitches in two. My thing is, is that when was it never a black church? I mean, that's where, isn't that where Juneteenth started? Right? Wasn't that where Juneteenth started? No, they didn't say it wasn't a black church. He said he shot it up because it was black people in there. And the, the media bent over backwards to try to figure out an alternative to why he shot the place up, even after him saying why he did something. I thought he was saying it because it was a black question. No, yeah. he he was very clear. He was yes. very clear that he was killing niggas. Yeah. Just, that was my thing. Yeah. And when I say white people, I'm not talking about the white people that are my neighbors. I'm not talking about the white people that, you know, I see at the supermarket. I'm talking about the white people, as Dick Gregory says, they can pick up the phone and they can change the stock market in either direction. I'm talking about those white people. Well, I'm you know, about the ones the grocery well, see, <laughs> I, when, I, when, when I say white people, I'm talking about white culture. I ain't got time to focus on individual white people, whether exactly. they're good or bad, just like individual police officers may be good. I'm concerned about the culture of policing. I'm concerned about the culture of whiteness. And the culture of whiteness has always had a negative impact on, on our lives. So yeah, one individual white person might want to sit down and drink tea and be nice to me and 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 walk my dog while I'm out of town. But that ain't gonna stop the police from killing my ass for reaching for my wallet. Exactly. It's crazy. Uh, before we get too far, before we get too far, and and we are gonna come back to white people because I'm gonna wrap this up soon. I white promise. Uh, white people. Uh, I want to hear from the Reverend Tyndale what we did not say earlier, what he started to say earlier, and I stopped him, is that uh, the LGBTQ community of color got together today, protested outside of Apostolic Church, and I wish I could have been there, and I wish I had some video, but I'm not that technical, but he got direct reports because, again, it was across the street from his house. Take it away. The protest went off um, as planned, and media coverage was there, so I will hopefully find out later today or look at the media and see um, where the stories pop up. Um, But media coverage was there. The um, Also, um, the... uh, who was there? The uh, Chicago Black Gay Men's Caucus was represented. Um, the Lighthouse Church with Reverend Jamie Frazier was represented. Affinity Community Services, uh, which is a lesbian and youth organization, was represented. Um, uh, Chic, which is a producer, which are producers in the area, they were represented. And uh, there were about 75 folks in attendance from about 8 a.m. to about uh, 11. They have two services across the street, one that starts at 9 uh, and one that starts at 11. And so they wanted to catch, I guess, the people coming in, uh, at least to see, and the police were there as well. 
um, to help uh, organize the people. So there was media coverage. Um, there was a statement. There were statements that were made. And, you know, every little bit helps. Um, is that going to change apostolic? I doubt it, um, because they are who they are as the institution. But again, the statement was made that this is not love and this is not how you show love. Um, you know, if he wanted to, you know, deal with this privately, he should have dealt with it privately with the individual and not blasted it to the whole church on Sunday morning and on broadcast, yeah. on broadcast media. Um, he should have just handled that, you know, that, you know, and then they would have gone, you know, their separate ways. He felt attacked by the individual's daughter, um, by the individual's daughter that, um, you know, and, and he shot back at them because he didn't feel that he was respected um, and that other people were respected, yet he didn't respect isn't that the, Isn't that the sin of pride and shouldn't he yes, be... Yes, it uh, is. He's human, yes. Excommunicated. Should he not be excommunicated for that sin? Yeah, but he's a pastor. Oh. You know? and, he, and he has that, he has whatever right he has as pastor, and there's still 10,000 people there. So, um... You know that's how the that's how that's how it rolls, and I'll offer my services to the individuals affected um, for counseling if they want to. Um, if they want to, uh, as such. But again, it's going to be a big hole because she was used to that congregation and used to the trappings of the large church and of the uh, music and of the, all of that, which people find hard to really separate themselves from. And I understand. Um, and I found a space for myself where I do get that. Not every week, but I do get that. And so you have to make a shift in yourself and understand it. But I'm praying for her and her spouse because I don't want her to lose her job. Um, and, you know, it comes down to who's paying my mortgage. Right. Uh, I think of right. the gay community could get past our issues. I think the gay community should start our own religion. I, you know, why not? You know, I mean, a lot of us Very don't true. think that we are. Uh, a lot of us don't think that we hold the truth, and we do. But a lot of us, again, are you know somebody packed a suitcase for us, and we're not. We don't have enough, uh, out of fear, we don't have enough, you know, fortitude to unpack it um, and, re and replace it. Um, but we are. I like that. I like that. And we're, we're trying to reach out to people, letting them know the good, the good theology. Well, Derek knows I've threatened, and technically I have started, uh, my own tradition is called the Temple of My Reflection. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Because I think one of the deepest problems is that so many of the traditions, whether religious or otherwise, teach us to look for the truth somewhere other than inside of ourselves. And all of the best wisdom literature from every culture around the world tells us that the truth and the knowledge and the divine and the transcendent lives on the inside of us. And it is when we join in intentional community with other people and we draw 
call out the divine. We, we are the manifestation of the divine. Um, but we can't get there if we won't spend time, what I call sacred mirror time, reflecting on who we are, where we are on our journey. Because I don't need a preacher to tell me where I'm fucked up. The mirror and be like, you know that was real fucked up what you did yesterday, right? You know you need to go get that right, right? I don't need someone else. We know we know the things we've done that are not life affirming. We know the people we've harmed, whether intentionally or unintentionally. We know what we can do to make amends for those things. And we should also know that sometimes people are not willing to forgive our transgressions and we need to learn how to accept that. We can get all of that by standing in the mirror. I don't think we do enough of that. Um, so I, I mean, so I, it, it started out as a joke, but I really got really serious about what would it be to have this whole intentional tradition where our whole, our spiritual discipline was sitting in contemplation, looking at yourself and asking yourself questions and, and asking yourself to go. We often at interventions with Carlton Pearson, we, we put our arms around ourselves. Because again, if we are made in the image of God, we are gods. But see, a lot of people don't want to get, go there. And in a metaphysical standpoint, you start with you. Our worship is Pentecostal in nature, but that's worship style. But we have to start metaphysically with yourself and understanding that you are the root of the God nature. And so you know, I, I point people to Carlton Pearson's website. I point people to things that they need to start doing, but they need to start looking in the mirror, as Dante said, at themselves. And But people are lazy. They want somebody to lead them. They want somebody to tell them what to do. And black and white. I was teaching a, uh, a Bible. Quickly, I was teaching a Bible class. And I was trying to get the people to think for themselves. And this is in a, a, a church that I was serving years ago. And I was trying to get people to think for themselves. And they're like, you know, just tell me what's black and white. Just tell me what's right and wrong. Not for them to determine for themselves what's right and wrong. They wanted me to tell them as the preacher what was right and what was wrong. And I'm like, well, I can't tell that to you for you. You have to discover that for yourself. There are laws of the land, yes, that tell us what are right and what are wrong that you'll be arrested for. But you personally, in your life reflection, need to understand what is right and wrong for yourself. And a lot of people are not willing to do that. They want somebody to stand in the pulpit and tell them that you should not do this, you should not do that, you should not do this, because it's wrong. Well, church doesn't teach them that. Well, they tell them that. It doesn't teach it. I think telling it and teaching it and being able to be on a pulpit instead of being petty, I think if he would have spent that kind of time, you know, maybe he can get sort of a shift in his congregation. So, I mean, I think that uh, I've never heard any pastor out of any of the churches I've ever visited over the past 30 something odd years where someone said, look within. I've never heard that. Look at Bishop Pearson's website, look at Bishop Flanders' website, and you'll see that. You have to look at specific places now. The general church is not going to tell you that. But we are growing. And Bishop Pearson has a huge internet population that's now following him worldwide. 
because he switched from that Pentecostal doctrine to a metaphysical doctrine that still accepts the spirit. But we have to look within Bishop Beckworth of Agape out in California in LA. They are metaphysical. I've heard of Black them. Church. Um, they also feel that way. So you have to look at specific places. We're right. growing, but we're not everywhere. Right. And we yeah. will attempt to. Go ahead, Doug. Okay. I was going to say, and as a person who I consider myself a spiritual humanist, I don't know. I'm not bothered if people don't believe in God or they don't have a, a concrete God concept. That don't bother me because I believe that we are what we need. Um, and there's one, I, if you haven't read Salvation, I mean, the very concept that what we need to be saved is each other. Salvation, Black people in love, bell hooks. Um, but this to me was one of the most powerful theological texts I read in seminary, which is not a theological text. Um, but, but her her premise is that we are the salvation that we need, that who we are to ourselves and each other is what we need, because salvation simply means transformation, right? And that the transformation is in us and it is when it is with us. And I think if we latch on to that, whether you belong to a more traditional religious community or no religious community, whether you have faith or you don't have a tradition or you don't know or you don't care. But if, if, if we all can accept that we are what we need, I think, you know, there is, there is no hell or hot water that can stand against us. Um, but, that is, but that's a hurdle for a lot of us to believe that we are, everything that we need, we already have. We can have one more comment. Okay, go ahead, Mark. And then I want to. Okay, I'm sorry. The the said a number of LGBT pagans have been been created a group. Just doesn't seem like there are many black LGBT groups doing so. Onyx in it only way be an exam of creating this space. Example of creating this space. And somebody else says, none of your beast by says that people actually spent time reading the Bible instead of letting people read and explain for them, they find what they are looking for. And that's it for right now. But but reading the Bible and understanding the Bible as 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 both of our guests said earlier today, you know, it's not just a matter of just reading the Bible from cover to cover. You need to understand, you know, it's come from that are said in the Bible in Exactly. Um, Speaking of history, polls out today. Um, This is my personal thing. And since we have two people here who I know have studied uh, African studies deeply, I want to talk a little bit about HBO and Confederate. So the president of, of, so for those who, uh, the two showrunners for Game of Thrones went to HBO and um, the of the show called Confederate, in which, in this world's history, um, the Confederate Army does not lose and slavery continues on and up to and you know including 2017, and this is and it was greenlit. Because this is what, you know, this would be interesting to see, apparently. Um, So it was announced, and it immediately got 
severe backlash. Well, this week, the president of HBO uh, did the rounds and tried to clean it up, and he admitted and acknowledged that maybe this wasn't rolled out in the best of ways, and maybe they did not realize um, how sensitive the subject was. But he wanted to be clear that people just need to give it an opportunity, give it a chance, because it's 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 set up really well. And even though it's slavery 2017, he wanted to be very clear that there are no whips and chains involved in this. Um, there are no whips and chains involved in the treating of these people in this 2017 slavery. And it's just a very interesting take on, you know, an alternative history. So I made my feelings clear last week. Hang out when we talked about this briefly. This is why you should come to the entertainment hangout sometime. What newfangled bullshit <laughs> is this? Um, so I wanted to I wanted to touch upon the subject for like to the group, which I think now it's gonna be a little longer, but I will be timing you all. So go ahead, Lonnie, go ahead. Because Lonnie is clearly activated. I really don't have too much to say. I just think it's a whole bunch of bullshit. That's all. Next. <laughs> I want to point out again, Lonnie, that it has been greenlit, and HBO has pretty much just opened up one of their bank vaults and said, here's your money, have at it. And the two showrunners, the two white guys, um, went and found two black writers to help them sell this. Uh, one of the writers, it's a, it's a husband and wife couple. One of the writers wrote for The Good Wife, and the other one Rights for or wrote for Empire. I think Lonnie's gonna take us to church now. Um, I really, truly am really disappointed. Um, you don't see anybody doing anything about Jewish people like this. Um, it's just interesting how they always focus on black and slavery shit, but never anything to uplift. The black community, but this goes back to what we was talking about earlier. So it just sounds like a whole bunch of bullshit to me. The so, floor is open. So this is why I don't trust white culture. Because Wisdom, and I believe um, mother, the ancestor mother Maya Angelou might have been the last recorded version of this wisdom. When a motherfucker show you who they are, believe them. White people have demonstrated that they have an uncanny ability to continuously reimagine our destruction and our demise. They can imagine all kind of shit where they at the center and we are continuously um, underfoot. And not just that, I mean, this may feel like a far field, but I had the same feeling with, what was that show that ran for like seven seasons? Breaking Bad? White man who was too proud to accept some financial help. So for seven seasons, he cooked meth. 
pride was great, he couldn't accept welfare. So rather than have welfare, he was going to become a meth cook. Now, we all know, hey, where's the seven series, the seven season series about the black crap cooker? <laughs> where's that story? Where was all this health care for crack addicts? But now we weeping about opioids when, when we all been watching people nod off on heroin for a couple of decades in our community. Imagine it. I mean, really, white people just being white. They are they are they are at the center of their imagination and they ain't thinking about us like that. And it's so it's not a surprise. I said what would be interesting if you want to do this is if you imagine the world where brown people and red people rose up during the Civil War and took over and enslaved all the white folks. I think you think about that. Never that. Seen before. That's what I would want to be interested in seeing is the pilot because people just hear Confederate and it's just, oh, you know, but maybe what maybe that was the case. Maybe that was the case. I mean, it's kind of hard to really see what it is unless you really see the pilot. I think if I would have saw the pilot, if that was the case, I would have been on board with you. They, um, but they, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, they did that already. It was called Planet of the Apes. We all know they used that <laughs> movie as a metaphor for brown people ruling over crap. We all know that, right? Like, because they always have to anthropomorphize us. It ain't going to be us, actually. It's us as gorillas, yeah. us as monkeys, us as shot, whatever. Uh, us other than anything other than human. Um, and then the moral of the story always is the, um, the monkeys are out of control. <laughs> it's like the monkeys are unreasonable when they in control. When they rule, they, they, they behavior is never justified. Yeah when they rule and and the whole goal is to sympathize with the oppressed white people yeah i'm so out of sympathy. everything y'all are saying well here's the only kicker to this is that part of that some of that is our own fault because now if you want to block you want a box office smash hit movie you put a slave movie out and you know i have preached against slave movies since time began Against us, and yet we still bring them out, and so we justify it. We can justify them show a few times that that's a way to get the history of African Americans out. So we see that's why I know this history. But I think, to a certain extent, I think they're doing what appears to be a trendy rating type thing, partly. Um, the other part of it is, yeah, white people, whenever they, you hear about a white person talk about the good old days, usually that's what they're talking about. They're talking about a time when blacks was out there picking cotton and they lived in these big plantation homes and so forth. And knew their place. Right. So that's what they're imagining. Yeah. Good old days time when that was what was the case. But at the same, like I say, at the same token, though, some of that's our own fault because we run out and we go watch these movies. We watch these shows. You know, go watch this new show about underground and all that. And I'm like, I'm so sick and fucking tired of anything. They say that I am with slavery. You. Oh, that but still, they drop a slave you. movie, 12 Years a Slave, you win the war. If you drop something about slavery, we're going to be there. And I hate to say it, but we, we perpetuated some of that. Jewish people do not celebrate the Holocaust. That's they why do not. You are about. absolutely right. They do not. Because they will damn their boycott a movie if you put a movie out about the Holocaust. They won't go see it for sure. They may not verbally, uh, publicly boycott it. 
but they damn sure won't put any money in it. We will. So I think that's where that comes from. And I just looked this guy up too to see if he's Jewish or not. Um, and I can't tell. I tried to look up his ethnicity. I tried to look up. What's his last uh, name? His name is Casey Blois, B L O Y S. B L. And I. Of, um, HBO. That's the person of HBO. Yeah. And that's I tried a, to look for the Yeah, but he's the person that signed off on it, you know? Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But I don't know. I'm just like, and, and, and you know, there's several different articles where he's actually defending, uh, you know, the release of the actual series, which, mm-hmm. you know, of course he will. But, you know, I, I, I'm interested in knowing, like, what's his background is, because if he was Jewish and he certainly, you know, I mean, come on, he certainly shouldn't sign off on something like this. I'm not going to say that because truth be told, he shouldn't want to compare. <laughs> that doesn't mean that he would. You know. Well, you know, people want to compare what happened with the Jewish people, but I mean, how long did that last? Ten years at the most? African Americans have been oppressed through slavery for three hundred years. Mm-hmm. So here in America, <laughs> yeah, right. So yeah. you know, I can see what happened with the Jewish people. Don't get me don't get me wrong; it was terrible, and a lot of them lost their lives. But a lot more of us lost ours, and to this day, continue to do that because even after slavery ended. And you had Jim Crow and all that. And I mean, there are still things that impact us today that came out of that time frame. So my thought process is, yeah, what happened with the Jewish people was terrible and it was bad. And I don't wish that on nobody. But at the same token, it still doesn't quite compare to slavery. So if he was Jewish or if he is Jewish and he signed off on this and thought it was a good idea, he did it based on, number one, their love for money and power and wealth and then too because truth be told what happened to them doesn't it's a blink in the eye compared to what has happened to the african-american community all right um well i need to end us right there i know a couple people on the uh hangout need to various sundry reasons but i wanted to thank everyone who showed up today this was a really 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 good hangout and religion is large and we need to do this again um i want to give a special thanks to dante and kevin for coming and sharing their knowledge of religion and african history and the combination of the two yes i hope you all will think about coming back again at some oh it was great to be here thanks for inviting me And I think with that, our regular co-hosts, if you all want to give a quick goodbye. Bye. Bye. Peace. Thank you all so much for joining us. Tune in again next Sunday for the Entertainment Hangout led by Marco Estes. Thank you so much. Goodbye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the M3 Bear Essentials Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes or whichever podcatcher you use. And if you would like to get more content from M3, visit MailMediaMind.com. There you'll find links to all of our social media platforms, including 
Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Pinterest, and many others. But most importantly, our link to YouTube, where you can subscribe and get a notification when we go live. There, you can participate in the Q&A and be a part of the conversation. Again, my name is Malcolm Travers, and thank you for listening. We'll catch you next episode. Thank you.